Well, <clears throat> this morning marks a couple of major milestones, shall we say, in, in Karen's in my life. After 38 years of marriage, this marks our first official morning as empty nesters. We're part of that club now, thanks to JR and Katie and the wedding yesterday and all of that. And, and speaking of that, I know that it's in the bulletin, but I just want to take a minute to publicly express Karen's and my gratitude to so many of you as well. I know it's a long trek over there. I know you guys put on a, a wedding shower for them here <clears throat> last Sunday night. And uh, Karen and I are very grateful to you who, who went out of your way yesterday, a beautiful day. Some of you had other things you could have been doing. Some of you had other things that you went and did later. Um, but, you know, being so far away from our biological family up in New England, um, you guys make us feel like family. And we love you and we appreciate you and we want to thank you for, for being over there yesterday and for all that you have done for Katie and JR. That's the first major change. The second mark this morning, if you will, is that by my count, this morning's sermon marks the 700th recorded lesson here in Cleveland. I didn't start recording them till we've been here for eight or nine months or something like that. But I just want to take this opportunity as well to say out of those 700 sermons of mine, plus other guest speakers that have been recorded here, most of them, the vast majority, probably 95% of them are posted on the website. Please do not neglect to use that website to, to steer people toward it with well over 600 recorded lessons of mine plus a whole bunch of recorded lessons from gospel meetings and other things that have gone on around here. Um, there's electronic photo albums, I believe, from 2012 all the way to 2017 of the ladies' craft work. There's Bible studies up there that people can download. There's all kinds of stuff. Part of your offering goes to supporting that website on a monthly basis. And so please do not, everybody's got smartphones now except me, okay, uh, Karen and I, um, but make use of that website, steer people toward it, uh, a lot of stuff on there that you might be able to use as you talk to people about the Lord. So anyway, <clears throat> this morning what I decided to do was to take this sermon and yesterday's wedding and kind of integrate them. I, I prayed about what to preach on and decided to combine the two of them, as it were, in a sermon that is entitled, Falling in Love with Jesus the Christ. What I want to do this morning is seek to talk about three very distinct phases of the falling in love process as it were, and you'll see what I mean as the sermon unfolds. And actually, for clarification's sake, it's not about falling in love, because I know it's romantic to think we fall in love, but actually love is something we choose to do or decide to do, according to the Bible, because love is a commitment. Love is a commitment to to somebody like Jesus is committed to us and so we choose or decide to make that commitment to love so let us begin this morning please open your Bibles to the Gospel of John if you would the Gospel of John chapter 1 phase 1 is what we might refer to as the getting to know you and who you are stage the getting to know you 
in who you are stage or step. This is that step where if you were dating, you'd go out on that first date. If you were dating, it's where you would start to get to know the other person by beginning to spend time with them, talking with them, listening to them, discovering who they truly are. It is that stage where you would begin to, to gauge their level of interest in you and seeing what their interests are and seeing what they want out of life and, and trying to determine their depth of love for you so that you can decide whether or not you want to spend the rest of your life with them. That is that phase one, getting to know you and who you are stage. And <laughs> as some of us may be able to recall... As others of us may find out, the first couple of encounters can be a little awkward, okay? And I'm sure that probably some of us are older, have got some stories we can tell, but we'll just leave it at that. You know, <clears throat> JR has confessed that the first time he saw Katie, he thought she was 15. <laughs> Somebody over in Pawnee said something about the preacher's daughter. He said, she's, she's 15. <laughs> Of course, being his age, anyway, leaving it at that. Uh, first game night that he came to over here, I understand that he sat out in his truck for like 10 minutes and almost went home, just was so, didn't know if he dared to come in or not. And that first game night that he was here, he wound up playing Uno with Karen and Katie, because Katie, I guess, didn't want to play you know, Uno alone with him, so you know, there they are. But if we think of that stage one, and we, we think of that as an illustration, you know, the disciples of Christ, they got into that stage one kind of getting to know you and who you are the first time or two that they encountered Jesus. And this possibility that was a little awkward as we see in John chapter 1. In John chapter 1 it begins in verse 35 by saying, Again the next day John stood with two of his disciples. And looking at Jesus as he walked he said, Behold the Lamb of God. And two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned, and seeing them following, said to them, What do you seek? Jesus turns around, see these two disciples who didn't know anything about him, he says, What are you looking for? <laughs> they said to him, Rabbi, which is to say, that when translated teacher, where are you staying? Now, I don't think that the whole purpose of them following Jesus was to find out where he was staying that night, but that was the first thing out of their mouths. It was kind of a, it, it seems to be, have been maybe a little bit of an, an awkward thing, but at any rate, he, he says to them, you know, come and see. They came and saw where he was staying and remained with him that day. It was about the 10th hour. In other words, it was about four in the afternoon because according to the way that the Jews referred to time, 6 a.m. is where their day began. So if you move forward, it's probably about 4 in the afternoon. And it moves on from there in the next few verses to say, One of the two who heard John speak, that is John the Baptist, when he pointed out Jesus and said, Hey, that's Jesus, basically. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus, one of those two men was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. And so he brings his brother to Jesus. And when Jesus looked at him, he said, You are Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated a stone. And you know, there's a good lesson there. We shouldn't take somebody else's word for who Jesus is. 
Now, we need other people to point us to Jesus, and we need to point other people to Jesus. That is what Andrew did. He went and he found his own brother, Simon, or Simon Peter, as we refer to him. He said, we found the Messiah. He's pointing him toward Jesus, saying, you know, basically, come over here and check Jesus out. But the thing is... While we can allow others to point us in the right direction, we need ourselves to go find out who Jesus is. We need to do the research. We need to go spend time with Jesus. We need to discover his love and who he is and what he wants for us. You know, it's like the woman at the well in John chapter 4. She discovered who Jesus was and so she, she goes back. And she tells her, her city, she tells them, she says, can, can this be the one? And she was kind of pointing the direction or pointing people in the direction of Jesus. But then what did the village do? They came out for themselves. And after a few days, they tell Jesus, at first we believe because of the woman, but now we've come out, we found out ourselves. We have seen who you are. We've listened to you. We've gotten to know you and, and we believe in you. You know, it's sort of like the thing, if any of you have ever been out on a blind date, you don't start making marriage plans and order the cake before you take out the blind date. And so, same way here, as it were, in a way, you need to discover who Jesus is and take the time to do that. And the way that we point people to Jesus today is to tell them about him, and then it's up to them. And, and maybe you're somebody here who hasn't really discovered all that Jesus is. The way that we spend time with him today, obviously we don't walk with him, but we get into his word. We find out, we find out about Jesus right here, and, and we talk to God in prayer, and we spend time in, in his word, listening to and learning who he really is before we can ever be ready to make a commitment to follow Jesus Christ. Same thing in the physical world, as you will. You know, J.R. came over and he listened and he sought to learn for himself who Katie really was. As we continue reading, using the, the wedding as an illustration, we move on to verse 43 and it says, The following day Jesus wanted to go to Galilee and he found Philip and he said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Well, as soon as Philip finds out who Jesus is, what's the first thing he does? Well, he goes and finds Nathanael, verse 45, and says to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? It's one of those awkward first statements that you make when, can, you know, you go to Nathaniel and say, hey, we found him. Can anything good come out of, you know, it would be almost like saying, can anything good come out of, you know, Maine or Skeety or whatever. the case. I mean, it's just one of those kind of awkward statements like, really? Philip said to him, well, come and see. And Jesus saw Nathaniel coming toward him and said to him, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathaniel said to him, how do you know me? How do you know who I am? And Jesus answered and said, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. I was watching you before you ever came to see who I was. Nathanael answered and said to him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, you're the King of Israel. And Jesus answered and said to him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, you believe? You'll see greater things than these. And he said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, hereafter you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending. Upon the Son of Man. What did he say? He said, you know what? You're going you're gonna to learn a lot of things. You're going to see a lot of things. You're going to get to know who I really am over the course of time. And so, at that point in time, 
Jesus and these disciples, they start spending all their time together. And I hadn't really thought about it in this way, but Jesus and his disciples start then attending social events together. They go to the wedding in Cana of Galilee, John chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. They go out fishing together, Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 10. And they even have Jesus over for a meal in Luke 5, in verse, uh, Luke 5, 27 through 35. They traveled a lot of places together for the next three and a half years. Jesus and the disciples, not J.R. and Katie. Jesus and the disciples. They traveled together a lot over the next three and a half years. They not only attended weddings together, but they attended funerals together. Mark 5, 35-43. Luke 7, 11-15 in John chapter 11. And as they traveled together and attended events together and saw things together... They also saw incredible things like the seas calmed in Matthew chapter 8 and Matthew chapter 14. And as we talked about in this morning's Bible class, they had this incredible mountaintop excursion, Matthew 17, 1 through 9. They went to worship together and they often took trips up to Jerusalem for special spiritual occasions. And during that first initial getting to know you phase... They were continually, Jesus and the disciples were, were continually talking and discussing the future. Now, don't get me wrong, Jesus, of course, being Jesus, knew exactly who they were. He, we proved that in John 1. But see, they had to learn who Jesus was. They had to learn about his love. They had to learn who he was and this great extent of his love for them. And he was always teaching. As they were traveling together, he was talking and teaching. And, and they were watching and they were listening and they were learning asking a lot of questions and so over this first phase as it were they began to understand just how far away Jesus had come from just to find them John 14 5 through 11 they also began to understand just how much Jesus loved them and how much he was willing to give to and for them, John 15, 11 through 17. But you see, here's the thing. As they learned that about Jesus, Jesus also needed for them to count the cost of this relationship. Jesus needed for them to really consider the cost of following him as he had had to count the cost of coming for them. Turn to me in your Bible this morning to John, I'm sorry, to Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14, as they traveled and they discussed these things together in, in this phase one of this disciple relationship that they had. Luke chapter 14, Jesus needed for them to know the cost of establishing a further relationship. The kind that he came to have with them. Luke 14, beginning at verse 25. Now great multitudes went with him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me, and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, 
brothers and sisters, yes, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Now we know Jesus wasn't talking about literal hate. He was using a figure of speech to say, if anybody comes to me, they've got to understand, I've got to come first before every earthly relationship. Verse 27, and whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it? Lest after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going to make war against another king, does not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes with him with 20,000, or else while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks conditions of peace. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. Jesus says, over the course of this three and a half years in this phase one, getting to know you, relationship with Jesus and his disciples, he comes and he tells them how much he loves them, and he lets them know what it's going to cost him in order to have this relationship with them, that it's going to cost him his life, that, that he came and gave up the glories of heaven, Philippians 2, 1 through 8. He gave up his, his home in heaven to come here, but he also lets them know that they need to count the cost and really think about what it's going to cost them. Jesus made it clear in John chapter 12, if you would turn to John chapter 12, please. Jesus made it clear during that three and a half years what it had cost him and what it would cost him. John 12, 23. Jesus answered them saying, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. What he was talking about, of course, was his crucifixion, just as we talked about in the adult Bible class this morning. He said, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it, produce, but if it dies, it produces much grain. Jesus is letting them know, in order to truly have this relationship with you, I have got to die. The only way that, our, that this is going to produce fruit is if I die, if I go to the cross. And then he says, he who loves his life will lose it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me, and where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him my father will honor. Jesus said, as I have given up a lot, you're going to have to give up some things. You're going to have to put me first as I have put you first. Now he says in verse 27, my soul is troubled, and what will I say? Father, save me from this hour? But for this purpose, I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. He said, so now I've come this far and I'm ready to give everything for you. And what should I ask? God to get me out of this? He said, no. He said, this is the whole reason I came. Was to go to the cross. And you're going to have to put that old man of sin to, sh to the cross as well. So it was over the course of this three and a half years that the disciples came to know him come to choose him and made the decision to love and follow and spend the rest of their earthly and eternal lives with him, John chapter 6, verses 68 and 9. That brings us to phase 2. Phase 2 could be rightly labeled the proposal. The proposal. I won't go into the story of the night that... <clears throat> Jared came and asked for Katie's hand. We'll leave that one out. The proposal, phase two. 
This is the proposal that Jesus has for everybody. This is what Jesus proposes to everybody who would take the time to get to know Him, to take the time to get to spend time with Him in His Word, would take the time to get to know how much He loves them, to take the time to get to understand the future He wants to have with them. And these people, the proposal Jesus has for everybody who wants to truly understand how much He wants to make them His. You know where that proposal is found? That proposal for one place is clearly stated in the book of Acts chapter 2. If you're in John, just go ahead a few pages to the book of Acts chapter 2 and we will look at the proposal, phase 2. Phase 2, the proposal is in Acts 2, beginning in verse 22. A lot of twos there. Peter, preaching the first gospel sermon, says in Acts 2 and verse 22, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, the man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know. Him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. This is the beginning of Peter's sermon. Then he preaches the sermon. And as he concludes his sermon... Don't miss this. Here comes the proposal. As he concludes his sermon, Jesus was willing to go and die for you. This was the plan. Jesus came. He died. God did not let death hold him down, but God raised him up. This is the message that Peter preaches. And at the end of the sermon, he's going to give Jesus his proposal. What he's basically letting them know is that Jesus did not get down on one knee and offer you a ring. Jesus got down on the cross and offered you his life. Here's the proposal. Now that you understand how much he loves you, you've taken the time and you understand that Acts chapter 2. Peter said to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promises to you and to your children, to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. You say, wait a minute, that's not a proposal from Jesus. Yes, it is. Here's the proposal. Jesus came, spent time with his disciples. They learned how much he loved them. He told them that he loved them so much that he was going to go to the cross for them. Peter says he did that. He went to the cross. This is in his sermon. But Jesus' proposals right there in Acts 2 and verse 38. Here's the proposal. If you will repent, if you will turn your life to God, and if you'll be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, then you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you. This promise entails, the proposal to you is if you're willing to turn your life toward God and be cleansed of your sins, and then we find out later in the scriptures, obviously, and live faithfully to that, then that's Jesus' proposal. If you'll do that, he'll take you home to be in heaven with him forever. That's the proposal. That's the choice he offers them. It's just like when a man offers, uh, gets down on one knee and offers a ring. He, he's got a proposal or a proposition to make. Will you marry me? Jesus is saying, if you'll just turn your life to God and you'll be, you'll be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, will you accept what I have done for you? Will you accept this gift of my blood on the cross? 
for your sins? Will you receive this gift I have offered because I love you so much and I want you to be with me forever? Will you receive that by repenting and being baptized? It says in verse 41... Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls, about 3,000 people said, I accept your proposal. I accept your gift of your blood. I accept it. I will turn my life to God. I will have my sins washed away because I love you so much after what you've done for me because I want to spend the rest of my life with you, Jesus. And so they accept his proposal. And when they accepted that proposal by being baptized into Christ, it says in the bottom of verse 41... The 3,000 souls were added to them. If you go down to verse 47, it says in the latter part of that verse, the Lord added to the church daily. Same, same thing. The Lord added to the church daily. You know, for the sake of this sermon and the illustration, as I said, this is the engagement phase beginning now. At the point that we accept Jesus' proposal to become blood-washed children of God, from the moment we accept his proposal, the gift of his blood to cleanse our sins, from that moment on, our one and only top priority and focus should be getting ready for the wedding day. That should consume us. That should be the only priority and focus that we have is getting ready for our special day when the Lord Jesus takes us as his own into that heavenly home. We should be preparing. You know, I told J.R. at one point, People weren't going to recognize the farm. I cannot begin to tell you the man hours he put in over there. Mowing and pulling up old fence and moving fences and all of his equipment was down by the barn and all that mulch in front of the house and the pumpkins and the stuff. That stuff wasn't there. Okay? And uh, like I say, moved fences and this and that and put you know, dirt in the road and I just, just spiffing the place up. Okay? Because he knew the big day was coming. The, the gift, the proposal had been accepted. And he knew the big day was coming. Folks, what did Jesus say in John 14, 1 through 3? In my Father's house and many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and take you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Remember that? For those who would accept the proposal to move into his heavenly home, who would accept the gift of his blood and repent and be baptized, who would accept that gift, Jesus has gone to prepare a place for those people, to make the place even more beautiful. I can't imagine heaven not being beautiful to begin with, but when Jesus says, I'm going to go and I'm going to prepare a place for you who want to be with me, who want to spend the rest of your eternal lives with me, what a beautiful thought that Jesus did. And i got to tell you, I said that from the moment we accept that proposal, we should spend the rest of our earthly lives preparing for our big day, right? i got to tell you, <laughs> the last three months have been a whirlwind. From the day that Katie got that ring on her finger, from the day she accepted his proposal, 
It has been completely consumed with preparations for that big day. We could be here until well after noontime if I talk really fast. If I tried to list them all, I'm not going to do that. Going down to be fitted for her wedding dress and then finding the right veil and then, then picking it out and then fitting and then sending away and then going to Party City to buy the blue and the green and the napkins and the plates and the sunflowers at Hobby Lobby. No, take those back. I don't want those. I want these. And the jars and all of that stuff didn't just magically appear there. That was all in Katie's head and I cannot tell you how many trips she made to how many stores getting all that stuff. Mom, I need to go get this. I really got to have this. And she had, I got to tell you. She comes to me one day, I'm sitting there at the desk at the house, and she says, Daddy, can you get the top off of these pens? Bic pens. Now, this may sound easy. You know little Bic, little Bic, cheap Bic pens, right? They a little blue cap on the top. Have you ever tried to get that off? It's welded. Or it feels like it. I could not, with a knife, cut it off with pliers. I couldn't pull it off. All those pens that were on the table with the flowers stuck in them, those all had to be made. So finally, I took my little Dremel and I, I worked with them and I tried to poke them out with a coat. Those things are tough. But we got them out and we got the hot glue guns out and the fly. I mean, just, just hours and hours and hours and hours. The whole point is this. Why do I tell The point is this. From the moment she accepted the proposal, she was consumed with countless hours of doing everything to get ready for her day. Folks, from the time we become Christians and we are baptized for the forgiveness of our sins, our lives should be consumed with preparing for our big day when we meet Jesus face to face to go live with Him forever in heaven. That's the point. In fact, I want you to look at a couple of passages that say that. We'll take them from the books of Peter. Please turn to me to 1 Peter. Talk about preparation. And you know, sometimes after we receive Jesus' proposal and we're baptized and we say, yes, I want to live with you forever and he's gone back to prepare a place for us. You know, sometimes we get sidetracked. Sometimes we lose focus. Sometimes we let the things of the world drag us away from preparing for that big day. Someday we don't even seem to care about preparation. Folks, if we ever get to that point in our Christian walk, we've lost sight of his proposal to us. We've lost sight of the big day that's coming when we stop preparing. We can't let those... You think Katie let anything drag Drag her off focus? Not happening. I am here to tell you, not happening. People said, well, that was a beautiful wedding over there, and this and that was all It was all in Katie's head. And you best be complying when she said, hey, I need this done. We need to have that attitude in our Christianity. 1 Peter 1 verse 13 says this, Therefore gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace. Notice that, rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Focus your mind fully on that day and the grace and love of Christ that is going to enable you to walk into his heavenly home. As obedient children, verse 14, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. If we move on to chapter 2, verses 1 through 3 in the book of Peter, right here, again, we see this all-consuming, this all-consuming effort 
to prepare for that big day where he says, therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. If you've come to understand the Lord's grace and you've spent that time and you've accepted that proposal, then spend the rest of your life getting rid of all that stuff that you don't need for that day and focus on becoming more Christ-like. Finally, as a third passage, look in 2 Peter, just a few pages forward, 2 Peter chapter 2. This is about spending your life being consumed with getting ready for that day once you've accepted that proposal in the waters of baptism. 2 Peter 1, beginning in verse 2, says, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious. Do you understand the exceedingly great and precious and priceless nature of the promise that Jesus has given you when he said that he would forgive your sins? Do you understand the nature of the promises that he is faithful and just? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us all our sins and to cleanse us from all. What a beautiful promise, isn't it? If it isn't, why are you here this morning? That is an awesome promise. And we've been given all these promises throughout Scripture where Jesus wants to love us and take care of us and take us to His heavenly home and spend His eternity with us. And He died for us. And He made us these promises and He gave us this proposal. And it says in verse 5, for this very reason, giving all diligence. In other words, making it your top priority. Add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness. He goes on from there. And his whole point is this. Spend every day getting more and more prepared. Get, get everything lined up. Become the person God wants you to be. He goes on in verses 8 and 9 to say, hey... If you forget these things, if you don't keep working toward that big day and you forget that big day, you've forgotten how much he loves you. You've forgotten what he saved you from. Don't, don't ever forget that. Verse 10, Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You spend your life, after receiving that proposal, preparing for your big day. And that brings us to the third and final phase in our sermon this morning. And it is exactly that. The big day. That day is outlined for us in Revelation 21. Please turn there. Edison read a portion of it in our scripture reading. But this is our big day. You know, yesterday when Katie came out that door... Her big day, day she dreamed of for years, and she came out that door. If you were watching JR, to my understanding, there was, there was a tear trickled down his eye because she was so beautiful. And you can call me partial, call me anything you want. She was a beautiful bride. I don't care what you call me, she was beautiful. And Katie's, I don't think that going through Katie's mind at that time, I pretty much guarantee it, was not. Wow. How much did I spend on those flowers? Or, you know, it took me an extra trip to Walmart to get... I, really, I didn't really have the time to do that. 
I don't think all that preparation and all those things that she had done even entered her mind because I saw her looking at her groom. You know, when our big day comes, all those things that we may have had to give up or those hours we had to spend learning or those, those sins that we had to get rid of in order to maintain the purity of our lives, none of those, when we see Jesus face to face that day, the only thing that's going to matter if we are prepared is Jesus. And Revelation 21 describes the big day thus. Verse 1. John says he's had this vision. He, he's already got, he's got, you see the great thing about John, he doesn't have to be at the wedding to take pictures because God sent him a picture in advance of what it's going to look like. And so John had this vision of the wedding day, as it were. He says in Revelation 21.1, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also, there was no more sea. He's describing the landscape, as it were. And he says, then I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem. That's how they referred to the church. The church, the bride of Christ. The new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared, notice, don't miss that word, prepared. The bride, the church, was prepared. She had been preparing for this day since the day she accepted that proposal and became the church. The disciples were prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Isn't that beautiful? I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will. This is not a may. This is not a maybe. This is not John saying, I think this is the way that, that's not this. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There'll be no more pain. For the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. Isn't that going to be an awesome day if you're ready? Isn't that going to be great? No more pain, no more sorrow. I make all things new. Katie and Jr. have begun a new life. Because she accepted his proposal, then they got prepared for the big day, then they had the big day, and now everything's new. We in the church accept the proposal as we've talked about now several times. I realize I'm being redundant, but I want this point to really sink in. But the whole point is we've got to get prepared for that day. And we have got to spend all of our time and resources making that our top priority. We can't get distracted from what Jesus has done for us. And so we get ready for that day. And I'll tell you what, brethren... That day is going to be worth everything you've ever put into the preparation and more. It ain't going to matter how many hours you've spent, how many things you've had to give up, how you've had to get your focus off self. It's not going to matter. The only thing that's going to matter when you see the Savior is you and the Savior. The big day. The invitation this morning is going to be a little longer than usual. But I have three questions 
Final text I want you to turn to this morning is Matthew 22. Matthew 22, please turn there. That will be our final text of the morning. As I ask these three questions, this is our invitation. It's going to be a great day. Number one, are you truly ready as an individual, as you said here this morning, are you ready for that big day? In other words, number one, have you spent the time that you need to in phase one? Have you spent the time that you need to getting to know Jesus and just how much he loves you? If not, then you need to spend a little more time with him. You need to spend more time in his word and in prayer, discovering who Jesus really is and how much he loves you, how much he gave to you, and how much he wants for you to be with him in his father's house forever. Have you done that? Question number two. If you've done that, have you taken the next step? Have you accepted his proposal? His proposal to repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins because you realize he loved you so much that he gave his blood to do exactly that. Have you done that? Have you accepted his proposal? In Matthew chapter 22, I've got to tell you, there's a situation here. Matthew 22 verse 1, Jesus answered and spoke to them again in parables saying, the kingdom of heaven or the church or the new Jerusalem, whatever term you want to put in there, they're synonymous, is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son and sent out his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding and they were not willing to come. And again he sent out other servants saying, tell those who are invited, see I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and fatted cattle are killed and all things are ready, come to the wedding. But they made light of it and went their ways, one to his own farm, another to his business. See, they got distracted, see? And the rest seized his servants, treated them spitefully, and killed them. When the king heard it, he was furious. He sent out his armies and destroyed those murderers and burned up their city. And then he said to his servants, The wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Therefore, go into the highways, and as many as you find, invite to the wedding. And so those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all whom they found, both bad and good. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he saw a man there who did not have on a wedding garment. And he said to him, Friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? And the man was speechless. King said to the servants, Tie him up, hand and foot, take him away, and cast him into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now this story is a little different, but it conveys the idea, even though it's a different application here, it conveys the idea I want to get across as we get ready to close. I asked you just a minute ago if you had accepted his proposal to repent and be baptized. You see, when you are baptized into Christ, the Bible says in Galatians 3, 26 and 7, you clothe yourselves with Christ. That's what you do. You put on a wedding garment. You put on the white. That's what you do. Here's a man that went to a wedding and he wasn't dressed properly and he was thrown outside. If we are not prepared by being washed in the blood and making our robes white, as it talks about in Revelation chapter 7, then we're not the bride. We're not going to be the bride if we're not cleansed and in white. We need to be dressed properly by being baptized into Christ. Have you done that? Have you accepted his proposal that way? And number three, if you have done all of those, if you've done both of those, and most everybody sitting here has, so this one probably applies to us the most. If you've done those, are you spending all the time that you possibly can 
preparing for that day? Is getting there to that wedding day, having accepted his proposal, the most important thing to you on the planet? Is that what you think about before you lay down at night and when you get up in the morning? Is that your top priority above all other priorities is just getting ready for that day? Or are you too busy spending yourself and your resources on all the other influences that are competing for your attention and adoration? This morning, if you're sitting there and you need to make that commitment to know Jesus better, then you need to get into his word. And you can do that without coming forward. This morning, however, if you've done that and you want to accept Jesus' promises and his proposal by being baptized for the forgiveness of your sins and being clothed in white... We'd urge you in just a moment as we sing the closing song to please come to the front and we can talk about that and just maybe, maybe you'll accept that proposal today by doing that. And if you've already done that by being baptized, are you spending every day with your top priority and focus being that big day in Revelation 21 when you will come out as a bride adorned for her husband Come face to face with the Christ who loved you and saved you. If you need to make any changes, please come to the front as we stand and as we sing.